Hi everybody and Kia Ora. Welcome to our second last webinar for 2022. In today's session, we'll provide an overview of the research findings and the changes required to improve the efficient delivery of major infrastructure projects where third-party assets are involved. We have more than 250 people registered for today's session, so thanks so much for joining us. My name's Elena Gardner. I'm the Communications Manager at Austroads. I'll be moderating today's session with Maria Drysdale, who managed this project. Maria will be moderating the Q&A at the end of the webinar. I'd like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today. Australia is based in Sydney, and so today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. So a little bit about Austroads, we're the collective of Australasian Traffic and Transport Agencies, and the member agencies are listed on the slide here. Our focus is to deliver our member organisations to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. The project we're talking about today was delivered under Austroads Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Ross Guppy. So a little bit of housekeeping for today. Our presenters are going to speak for about 40 minutes and then we'll have a Q&A session that will run for 15 minutes. The slides and the reports can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar. You'll find that on the right-hand side of your screen. If you have any questions for the Q&A, please use the question icon on your sidebar. If your question relates to a particular slide, it's great if you can include the number of that slide in your message. You'll find that number on the bottom right-hand side or the bottom right-hand corner of the slide. By doing that, that gives context to your question and it also helps us answer it as best that we can. If you have any technical problems during the session, um, please let us know via that question, um, that question uh, function. But a quick tip, if your screen feeds, freezes, if you lose sound or if you lose picture, that um, issue is usually a connection issue. So um, oh, the way to solve that frequently is just to leave the session and rejoin it again from the registration um, link in your email. We'll be recording today's session and we'll let you know when that recording is available on our website. And if you listen to podcasts, um, you can find this session uh, in the Austroads webinar uh, on the Austroads sort of podcast and you'll find that in your podcast app. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our four guests today. Robert Eames is the founding and consultancy co-principal of Five Nines Consulting. He has a 30-year history of working with roads agencies. Robert has led a number of Austroads and road jurisdiction projects involving road assets, network, registration and licensing, ICT and road safety. Dr Nicola Boyd is the Manager Utilities and Stakeholders for the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads. Nicola is currently the Chair of the Austroads Utilities in Road Reserves Group. She has been involved in key Austroads projects highlighting issues and solutions for utilities management. David Byrne is the Director, Services and Continuous Improvement for Major Road Projects Victoria. David's experience spans 30 years in construction and engineering across all facets of project and program management, 
He has led senior roles, senior leadership roles in business development, pre-contracts and procurement. Maria Drysdale is Rural Network Operations Management Manager for Main Roads Western Australia. Maria is an experienced state road manager who facilitates positive outcomes for road users, owners, operators, and others requiring access to the road reserve. So in today's session, we'll first hear from Robert, who will introduce the project. He'll be followed by David, who will present a Victorian perspective. Nicola will take us through the next steps, and the presentation will be concluded by Maria, who will explain how you can contribute to future and potential projects. After the presentation, we'll have time to answer your questions. So welcome to all of our presenters. It's great to have you here with us today. And I'm going to hand now over to Robert. Thanks, Elena. Yeah. Um, thank you for the introduction. I'm Robert Eames. Probably like many of you, I've had COVID. And one of the things I quickly discovered that, um, that happens once you've had COVID and you go out and talk to people, they say, this is my experience with COVID. They want to share their story. Uh, as Elena said, I've spent uh, on and off 30 years working with roads authorities. So I have a lot of friends, a lot of contacts in the sector. And uh, whenever I've mentioned this project to them, they say, ah, oh, let me tell you my story of utility in a major road project and the problems, the challenges, and indeed the good things that came out of it. I facilitated and researched this project, um, but uh, it, the project involved a large number of people, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, over the next 15 minutes. I drew on the knowledge, the experience, and particularly the passion of uh, probably well in excess of 100 people. We had input at three levels. Ross Guppy provided the uh, coordination at the Ostroads end and opened doors for us to um, peak bodies, to some of the utilities, uh, and made things work at the Ostroads end. Maria Drysdale uh, provided the project management oversight, uh, dealt a lot with the jurisdictions, and helped keep us on track. So they were the first level. Second level, we had a project working group. The project working group was immensely valuable. I cannot overstate the importance of that group. They provided regular and deep insight to the project. They opened, uh, they were gateways to their jurisdictions. Uh, they provided uh, access to all sorts of resources that, that we needed as the project proceeded. They gave me uh, a lot of insight, a lot of wisdom, shared their own project experiences and went out and, and researched other people's project experiences as well. They didn't cover all of the jurisdictions, um, but those who weren't on the project working group um, provided points of contact who also supported. All of the jurisdictions um, uh, nominated people who attended workshops, and these workshops covered uh, topics such as issues, such as the solution pathways, um, and uh, a, a number of other topics that were, that were relevant to the project. The third level were the many individuals who I referred to early, earlier. They, uh, in many cases, completed surveys. We had an online survey for a while. Uh, they uh, provided uh, 
detailed uh, sort of deep dive information through interviews and inevitably I had a lot of email correspondence with many people through the project. A lot of information was furnished by people who became aware of what we were doing at all levels of government and to some extent across utilities and uh, the contractor world. So to all of these people, I really do extend my deepest thanks. The project would not have covered the ground that it has without their uh, passionate input. I would now like to talk a little about the background to this project. This is a problem that is manifested worldwide. Um, the nine jurisdictions that we covered this project, of course, uh, including New Zealand, as well as the um, six states, two territories in Australia, um, there are corresponding problems, of corresponding government setups, corresponding uh, project types all around the world. We do, I believe, have an advantage uh, within Australia and New Zealand through the federal government structure. It is very easy to criticise the lack of standardisation and the, uh, the, the lack of um, uniformity across the country or across the two countries, but we have an advantage here that um, in having nine different jurisdictions as well as uh, many uh, local government organisations, somebody somewhere has best practice and it may well be different. It may well be a new idea that's been tried and tested and could be circulated and used elsewhere. Another aspect of the project was that we cast the net quite widely. So we picked up not only road projects, but also ones involving rail, which add a whole layer of complexity. And of course, the range of utilities that we're interested in were not just the standard power, water, telecom, gas, and so on, but some other uh, relatively rare utilities. So some fuel pipelines, for instance, came into the mix on some of the projects that we looked at. The opportunity for reform provided the impetus to invest in this work. The key part of the approach was to engage with people. Um, and in doing so, we ran um, issues development workshops. We had um, two levels of, of inquiry programs, surveys essential, essentially. We ran case studies um, and a, a lot of consultations we went through looking at draft documents, bouncing ideas around, testing um, uh, different people's views of both problems and solutions. Um, a key first step was to learn from past research, but we also drilled quite deeply into four unique projects, which I'll talk more about in a little while. The starting point, though, was to investigate past research in this area. So the literature search that I undertook at the beginning of the project revealed a number of things. Um, Australian and New Zealand experience is quite diverse, and there's no doubt that uh, the performance of Australian and New Zealand uh, roads and rail agencies uh, in dealing with utilities uh, includes world's best practice. So it's not as if we're behind what is going on elsewhere in the world. And in many cases appeared from what I could tell from the literature to be uh, at the very leading edge. I looked particularly at the US, Canada and the UK but also a number of other countries. There's, there is published material, and it was mainly uh, English publication, English language publications I looked at, but did do some translation of, of uh, foreign material, of foreign language materials. Um, 
but there were there were papers about experiences in Kenya, uh, experiences in Southeast Asia, which which contributed as well. The the significant thing I think for the US and Canada um, was that both of those also have a federated structure, so there's uh, there are similarly best of examples. Uh, and they therefore, like Australia, tend to have some centres of excellence. So those centres of excellence, particularly in the US, uh, produce publications that were particularly relevant to the topic. The UK is a little bit different with devolution over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, uh, separation of management of roads uh, between England and Scotland particularly. They've had to document uh, a lot of things that previously were internal and are now um, visible to the wider world. Uh, and the UK is particularly good at producing documents that are um, quite prescriptive uh, guidelines and codes of practice and so on. So we can only learn from overseas experience if we understand our own context. And with the Australian and New Zealand context, I think there are a couple of main messages. Um, there's no doubt that this is an area where there are a lot of people with an interest, but not all of the professional expertise is involved right through every project. The project team typically are, but the utility stakeholders come and go. Uh, you may not have every utility involved in every project, they may not be involved for, for more than a short spell, and um, the contractors similarly may come and go. So there's often no continuity amongst the people who are working through the project, which makes it very difficult, I think, uh, for uh, a, a, a clearly planned approach from the beginning where everybody's had an input to it, make the plan, launch into it and, and see it through. People are coming and going. I think the second message is that the successful projects depend on good project managers. And there are many of those out there, but those project managers typically depend on their experience and there's no school for project managers in terms of dealing with utilities, certainly not at a, at a uh, national level. And the whole thing is made worse because this truly is a multi-factor problem. We identified 15 separate issues and they were, were grouped down out of a much longer list. Quite difficult to categorise them because there's a lot of overlap between them. Without a doubt, the two top ones that constrain everything, safety on site and cost. If you don't have a safe environment, nothing's going to happen. It's, it's going to be shut down. If you don't have the money to do it, it's not going to happen. Both of those are then constrained by the legal framework. There are a lot of things you can and can't do that are set by um, land ownership and by other, other legal aspects. Then within the issues, there are a lot of specifics that vary between projects. Uh, data, for instance, is different on every site. The amount of information available, the way that it's treated, the way it's recorded, uh, the access that people have to it uh, is different. But the thing that stands out is that the, the repeated nature of the issues that they come up on most, if not all of the projects, suggests that there really are systemic opportunities to resolve these. I said earlier that the differences between projects are critical. So we then looked in detail at four projects to identify whether the particulars of a project could enrich our analysis. We looked at four case studies. and. Every project is undoubtedly different. This is 
the, the attraction of doing this. And the differences that we pursued here, amongst these four projects, we've got one that's a significant corridor project, one that is a, uh, that concerned a significant and complex junction, one that involves rail, and one that involves light rail, Parramatta light rail. I really appreciate the project managers who shared quite a lot of time with me to tell me the whole story, give me all the background, help me to try and fit the real specific issues they had into the 15 groups of issues that, that we had already developed. And uh, the learnings from those projects, uh, if you read the report, you will see really do give some, um, shed some light on the complexity of, of the whole issue and make it much easier to understand why one size will not fit all. We can't just go down 15 issues and say, this is the solution to this one, move on. I drove down one of these roads just last week in absolute awe, understanding the challenges that lay under and beside and on top of the tarmac. So the report tells these stories. And so to solutions. Solutions are hard to identify, but there are certainly two common factors that run right through the solutions that we believe will work. The first of those is around planning and early information gathering. What's done at the beginning of these projects, the successful projects, are the ones which have been well planned at the start and where um, information data, where um, uh, the location of assets, for instance, but also identifying who the stakeholders are across the different uh, stakeholder groups, do that at the beginning. Those projects seem to be more successful. The second common factor is around people and willingness. Those projects where the project manager particularly, but all of the project team, build good relationships with the utilities, with the contractors, with the various other parties involved, sometimes other levels, other layers of government. Those are the ones that also seem to report, yeah, despite all the problems, it went well. I've said that utility relocation and management is a complex area, and so no single solution is enough, and I've talked a bit about that. More generally for the future, there are a number of areas we've talked about in the report, and I won't read those out individually. But I think there are two that jump out particularly to me, that uh, interagency cooperation is vital. Some of the stories we've heard from some of the major jurisdictions, uh, which have taken individually different, but conceptually the same approach, which is to bring together the roads agency, rail authority if appropriate, the key utilities and the contractors together, whether it is in um, uh, a, a Microsoft Teams environment, whether it is in an on-site periodic meeting, whether it is a, um, some kind of collaborative body at a senior level or at a practical project level, those uh, solutions do seem to offer an opportunity for the longer term. And the second uh, one that jumps out for me is that the sharing of knowledge um, within and across project teams, across the entire discipline, and particularly through things like this webinar today, are going to be crucial to making a difference for the longer term. I'd now like to introduce David Bourne from Victoria, who will summarise some of the work that they have undertaken in this space. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Some really powerful insights into your findings there. From a Victorian perspective, as Melbourne and Victoria's regional towns have been growing, the impact on utilities on our projects is becoming increasingly more significant. Across MRPV's typical annual spend, we're seeing utilities 
the cost associated with, with utilities range in the 25 to 30% of the total project cost and the programs taking up to about 45% of the total duration of the project. And that's due to the long lead times associated with progressing designs, agreements, um, progressing the finalising the design and then undertaking the actual relocation works. Across MRPV, we have 60 projects across all our portfolio and they are in all key phases of the project life cycle, including construction, development and pricing. We currently have 47 different utilities in Victoria and on average there's about six to seven different authorities per project. So these numbers are really just trying to highlight how quickly an individual project becomes complicated, but more broadly from an MRPV perspective, the significance of utilities and their impact across our portfolio of works. I have some, some graphics of some numbers uh, and this slide is, is showing the costs associated with utilities. So the top graphic here is showing you the percentage of utilities associated uh, with the projects and they range from the high 30s through to the teens on the left there. This is for about a third of the projects currently in our portfolio and these are averaging out at around 26%. The lower graphic there is showing you how the costs for each project are broken down by the various disciplines. So you can see the water and sewer in blue, the power in red, the comms in yellow, gas in green and the fuel oil in brown. What we have seen where historically the water and the gas were the, the key contributors to costs in projects, we've found over the last five to 10 years that the telecommunications and the power relocation and protection works are becoming the key contributors to the, to the overall costs of the projects. And you, you can easily see that when you're looking through the, uh, when, when you're walking around the suburbs and where you're undertaking the works, that the extent of the, the, the comms and electrical infrastructure is becoming increasingly more significant. So for MRP from a strategic perspective, uh, our key objectives were to lead the step change for MTIA on how to do things differently. differently. So our strategy was about looking for how to do something different, how to raise the bar and not just have those incremental improvements. So on, on the next slide, you can see our key objectives was, was to lead that step change and provide certainty of outcome, in particular time and cost certainty. But we're also trying to recognise and be empathetic for what the utility providers do provide. They are a key service for businesses and for the community. And our objective is really to minimise any of their major disruptions. How we're trying to undertake this work is by focusing on our key strategic pillars, which you can see to the right here. We have them, it's not an end-to-end -end strategy. You can see there's six pillars and they're in the shape of a wheel, showing that of that um, continual improvement as we progress through our pillars. So focusing on the relationship, finding um, efficient ways to deal with agreements, understanding procedures and processes, both our own and the authorities. And as we're involved in all phases of the project to identify issues, manage them, provide lessons learned and communicate back to our businesses and our contractors 
and manage risk across our entire portfolio. From a sort of resource capability and capacity perspective, over recent times, MRPV have increased their capability and capacity to manage all things utilities across our 60 projects. Uh, this graphic here is showing some of the raw resources that MRPV have embedded across our programs to manage this, this key risk. The yellow boxes there indicate projects that we are working on that are currently in delivery. The dark blue box above them shows how we've split them into programs of work. So what we've established is a, a utilities functional team, which are those five resources on the left of the diagram. And within that group, we have subject matter experts that are providing support to all the projects across all key disciplines of water, sewer, gas power, telcos and communication. We've also gone to industry and sourced resources from either the subcontractors who have undertaken the work or the authorities and they are now employed by MRPV and are embedded in our programs. Uh, you can see there's four of them and they're the four light blue boxes on, on the bottom of that diagram. We've also made sure every project, we've, we've included a utilities coordinator per project, because we have seen in the past, you can lose multiple months on utilities without uh, realising it happened so quickly. So they, they ensure there's always someone focusing on utilities for each of our projects. So having all these additional resources within, within our organisation, we support each other and we can leverage our ability to look at utilities from a portfolio perspective. Uh, this, org, this org chart here is showing how we deal with the delivery part of our business, but we also are involved in other key functional areas, including land planning environment, safety and engineering. In relation to building the relationships with our authorities, we are continually building them at all levels to understand who is who, their, who their reporting lines are and their levels of responsibility. We've had initiative, uh, uh, initial executive style relationship meetings with about 14 of the key authorities where, where we've established who are the most senior people within the organisation and we can have discussions strategically about how we work well together, escalate key issues and then have good discussions about what has been working well between our businesses and what hasn't been working well between our businesses. We also have regular engagement with the authorities as a, at a portfolio level where we might look across 15 to 20 projects that are happening and the key themes. And then we also have the meetings per project. They might be one, two, three a week, depending on where we are in the phase of the project. And what's been important that in those relationships is to make sure any messaging from various levels of the organisations are cascaded either up or down in a consistent manner because we recognise the authority Authorities have complex organisational structures and ourselves as a, as a government agency, we have the same. From a, from a procurement perspective, we've seen a key challenge we've experienced over time is, is the lengthy time to negotiate agreements and also the risk profile associated with those agreements. So we've tried to shift our thinking on how we can, how we can manage those agreements and trying to look at a real collaborative world to work together. So we've, we've initiated uh, utilising framework agreements 
where we have a tier one and tier two arrangement where we have pre-agreed subcontract terms and conditions. Uh, we have greater pricing and programming transparency. And most importantly, being able to influence what happens on our projects with our subcontractors. So whether it's how we, how we manage design, can we purchase materials early, how do we deal with resources, challenges and constraints, and getting involved in any, any key subcontractor issues that might be affecting the progress of the projects. Uh, we're setting these up to not only use them just in delivery, but also in procurement and in development so we can have more robust pricing and programming uh, as we develop our projects. Uh, the graphic on the right here is showing uh, 15 of the key authorities that we've been progressing our agreements with. And over the last two years, uh, some of the key milestones we've done is making sure um, we decide who is, uh, is, it, is it appropriate to have a, a framework agreement? We've also then benchmarked across Victoria the agreements that are being used by a variety of different agencies and contractors. Uh, we've then established with the our executive on the commercial principles we want to go forward with and then having those discussions with authorities to talk about what does collaboration look like, what's important to, for the authorities, what's important for MRPV. And then we've structured the the actual agreements, they're typically a two-tier agreement with the, with the collaboration style in the tier one and then the detailed T's and C's and risk profiles in the tier twos and then negotiating those agreements. And through that progress there, you can see there's several there, they're very close to being finalised. And what, what's been important is in this is once you sign an agreement, it doesn't mean you change the way you work, but over the, the multiple months we've spent finalising these agreements, we're already starting to see the benefits on on how we are collaborating and working more effectively uh, with the authorities. Uh, MRPV has a, a variety of panels and how they undertake uh, work. We have four panels where we have a lot of our contractors that undertake the roadworks and typically a larger project will go on panel one and a smaller project might go on panel four. So on that next slide, we can, we've also established a panel five group of contractors where they undertake specialty work such as bridge rehabilitations and utility relocation works. And what we're trying to do is de-risk the, the challenges associated with utilities by pursuing early works opportunities that will provide a real benefit for the project. So the typical scopes we've been looking at is site investigations to really understand um, uh, and be informed on what's on site, then also getting technical support, whether it's risk assessments, constructability advice and typical timing and costing of utility relocation works. And the ultimate aim, we have been starting to relocate some of our utility assets or protect them well in advance of the road. And you won't be able to do them for all of them, but we are doing them for some of our key assets. We currently have three or four opportunities that are now being progressed and we're, we're seeing it is starting to de-risk some of our projects. From a, from a knowledge sharing perspective, as we're gaining more info, information and insights in the authorities, we're expanding our knowledge base to really understand their businesses and how they work. And we're using this information to support our contractors and to support our own teams as well. Uh, we're reviewing what happens on projects through all key phases and providing those lessons learnt back into our various projects. By having 60 projects, there's always a project that's three or four months behind another project at a, similar, at, a, at a different stage. So providing that uh, lessons learnt back has been, has been very powerful. 
Uh, these graphics here, the, the one on the right is showing an intranet hub that we have where we've put all the authority standards, specifications, typical timeframes, costing advice, technical specifications, agreements that inform both our own teams but also our subcontractors to be to be empathetic and respectful of the information that they utilise within their own business. Uh, the graphic on the left is showing 120 odd lessons learnt that, that we've progressed over the last couple of years and, and we categorise them if some are good, some are bad, um, which contractors we have either good or bad experiences with, which authorities and which phases of the project life cycle uh, we're, we're learning these, these lessons from. And from a from a risk management perspective, we are involved in all the projects through the whole, the complete project life cycle uh, at all various levels of the business. So uh, this is one of the tools that we use to, to manage those risks where we look at risks from a, a project perspective, but we can also roll them up into a program perspective and then more broadly, a portfolio perspective. So we can have those really powerful strategic conversations with the authorities on how, how we are working well together or how we're not working well together. From a, from a benchmarking perspective and costing output, I mentioned earlier, certainty of outcome is a key objective of ours and in particular time and cost certainty for our projects. So we're progressing to really understand properly the time and cost associated with relocating utilities assets or protecting them. So using a combination of benchmarking rates, what we're finding out through our, our TOC pricing and also with our knowledge from, from the industry, we're developing benchmarking tools to make sure we can understand the time and the cost properly. Uh, what we've seen in the past, the, the visibility from the authorities in relation to this has been quite secretive and dark and by us now understanding this in more perspective we are becoming an informed client and ensuring that value is being achieved for for the for the public uh, this graphic here is showing some of the typical benchmarking rates we might utilize for various disciplines and we also have uh, similar graphics for for schedule and program so a lot of what we've spoken about uh, I've spoken about so far is what um, MRPV has, has done in recent times. Uh, the graphic on the left is showing we we report into MTIA, Major Transport Infrastructure Authority, which reports into OPV and then into Department of Transport for the Victorian Government. So we are involved in various other forums outside just what we undertake at MRPV. Um, a lot of working groups um, with um, different agencies within Victoria, with different groups around Australia and see that see that need to be a keen contributor for all things utilities because they are certainly influential on our projects but we see the challenges and Robert mentioned it earlier before that it is um, government-wide and also um, Australia-wide, New Zealand-wide, internationally-wide these challenges are similar. So we see that whole of government approach to utility authorities and how we deal and manage with them. So, so what do we do with uh, regulatory powers, ministerial powers, the MTPFA, how can that be reformed? And our key objective is trying to get that commercial leverage across whole of government for those improved negotiation outcomes. So whilst we're all busy with the, the agencies on the left here, we have to be empathetic of the authorities as well. And you know they are very busy as well. A lot of work's being undertaken at the moment. Uh, they have changes in their regulations. 
Um, they have updated pricing plans, so that's putting that pressure and scrutiny on, on their pricing and performance. And they're becoming more risk adverse as they become more corporatized. So in Victoria here, we have a big build initiative through government and it's created uh, a real challenge around resources because we have so many projects being undertaken and also the authorities being busy. So as a future roadmap for us, we see the, the forward planning and having those that collaborative collaborative discussion with authorities as being key to progress the, the challenges in, in Victoria. That's that's all from me from a Victoria perspective. I'd like to hand over to Nicola, who's got some great insights into what's next. Thank you very much, David, for uh, your thorough illustration of your practical example of impacts and Robert uh, before him for your detailed explanation of the project outcomes. So now we turn our minds to how all of this research work can help us change the impact of public utility assets in road and rail corridors. As the current chair of the Austroads Utilities and Road Reserves Group and the very active membership that we have, the group is making regular contributions to national conversations to improve outcomes for transport authority interactions with utilities. This project was no different and the recommendations for implementation formed through the project suggests that a number of key projects to help better control these impacts on transport projects uh, and the following are currently being scoped to seek funding and support through a number of sources. So I'll just go through and explain them. Um, so the first one um, that we're looking at uh, is the development of a training and education project with consultation through university engineering programs and professional engineering associations within Australia and New Zealand. And this would be to specify and agree on a baseline knowledge and skills um, needed for managing utilities in road and rail corridors and define what good practice is, uh, emerging knowledge and learning in utility relocations in particular. Um, we'd be looking to seek development of targeted training and library materials, identify and promote existing resources um, to deliver on the knowledge and skills identified, and also advocate for utilities management to be included in the university's curriculum more thoroughly as it is in the UK and US, where they actually can specialise in um, utilities management in an engineering degree. Also, um, we uh, following on from that, we would be looking at cross-government collaboration for a number of initiatives, including establishment of a centre of excellence, incorporating data specialists under the Austroads Asset Task Force to assess and advise decision makers about how jurisdictions should deal with specified costs and scheduling data sets, including you know, rules and changes and, and progress, and then best practice ways to leverage national approaches. So we've learned from a number of projects that without good data, it's very hard to have good advocacy. And so uh, the best way to um, uh, get change in these areas is to have the data to back it up. And you can see that from David's um, presentation um, about starting to collect the information on costings and timings and that kind of thing. So we'd be looking also at establishment of a community of practice to promote the exchange of knowledge and create a knowledge base through periodic meetings, workshop summits, um, and supported by the establishment growth and promotion of an online knowledge bank, um, uh, potentially maintained by something like the Austroads Internet, um, so that uh, uh, road authorities and, and rail authorities and, and essentially transport 
um, projects can access um, key information that will help solve problems and um, support uh, um, more positive outcomes. Uh, so um, obviously the community of practice outcomes are only really as good as the input. Historically, and where we've had engagement, uh, well, strong engagement driven by utility um, uh, management in state and local authorities, um, we've made really significant impacts um, and made it easier for everyone in you know, practical and technical and legislative areas. Uh, so um, uh, if you are looking to be involved, um, please do put your hand up. We're always excited to have you. Um, there's really an opportunity here for peer-to-peer -peer learning as well. As Robert was saying in his presentation, um, one of the things that um, uh, it's likely with so many jurisdictions doing things um, that there is, we can identify best practice or what good practice is um, and someone's probably already doing it. So where we've um, uh, each got our own special best practice section, um, actually bringing those shared experiences together can you know, give a win to everyone. So um, really it's coming back to that why invent, reinvent the wheel when you can borrow the design from your neighbour. So uh, part of this whole um, program, um, one of the outcomes recommended was um, uh, additional collaboration with utilities. I know we're all um, collaborating together and utilities are coming to the party, but looking at potentially establishing panels of contractors who are pre-qualified by both the transport agency and one or more utilities to allow the parties to ensure that their own requirements are met by this contractor, but there's not the lost in translation element where you're going between contractors. As so many of the agencies are using contractors to deliver um, outcomes. If you um, have one who has the whole picture, it's going to be much more streamlined and efficient. Um, and those panels um, would be um, either local for a pro particular project, jurisdictional or national um, in due course where utilities and um, contractors uh, operate across jurisdictional boundaries and, and where we can get those agreements. Um, so this might require the development of an Austroads guidance document on how to establish such a panel um, and um, that would be one of the things we'd be looking to put together in a project. Um, uh, additionally, um, we um, would be looking to initiate a review of alignment or misalignment of project processes between transport agencies and utilities to better understand each other's business. So part of that collaboration is um, understanding each other and we'd be potentially looking to fund and commission a process alignment project for a national or typical process model as best practice. So um, in addition to um, those kinds of outcomes that were recommendations of the project, we're also looking um, to um, change the way we fund early and facilitate early works. So that will really involve soliciting support across jurisdictions and OSROADS and um, to fund and engage with a project to explore changes to the way um, funding is delivered and when it's delivered in order to undertake appropriate early works. So um, these early works will take account of the plans and committed work pipelines for both transport agencies and utilities and allow works to be funded prior to the commencement of the normal construction works itself um, in earlier phases so that um, uh, we can get improved outcomes for everyone. 
other. Um, but it will affect both jurisdictional Commonwealth funding models. And so there is um, quite a bit of work associated with that. So establishing what needs to be done and how we can achieve it is a fairly critical piece of work as an outcome for the project. Um, so um, the next one that, um, and you can see that there's a whole suite of uh, different um, uh, proposed uh, recommendations because this is a complex and um, uh, multi-level um, uh, type of uh, environment that we're dealing with. So the, the next one that we would be looking, um, recommending that we fund or change is legislative investigation to address questions like is the legislative environment fit for purpose for utilities and transport agencies and how can we do it better? So essentially a collaborative exercise between transport agencies and utilities uh, within or across jurisdictions to review legislative constraints that limit or impair the ability of project staff, whether they're transport or utility, to deliver the best outcomes um, for the, um, uh, the overall projects and, and the overall um, benefits we're seeking to have our networks um, operating. Uh, so uh, the next one that we're looking at um, as out of this project is a national data set for utilities management in roads. So we'd be looking to seek support from Ausroads to create a national body of utility asset protection and relocation performance data. So this will require funding for a project which would define the requirements for a central database, ongoing maintenance processes, reporting data privacy and accessibility. So um, essentially setting up data that will give access to each jurisdiction and specify requirements to provide specific data to be reported annually. Um, so it, it's really envisioned that visioned that Ausroads would publish this data as a data set in a form similar to the Australian Bureau of Statistics data and it would provide a time series um, data to enable national conversations um, in developing reforms and better practice in utility asset management on a major transport projects. So that leads on to digital engineering uh, and um, with the rapid in, you know, development of electronic data sets for location assets, this has allowed rapid improvement in project delivery techniques. However, the practical development of standards and of data set integration has lagged behind the potential functionality of the software and the value of the data. So we'd be looking at establishing a working group to document and review national utility type processes and standards and how they conflict or comply with road standards. And um, if this were um, the Utilities and Road Reserves Group um, uh, that was doing that work as a working group, would need to be strengthened with, you know, um, particular specialists um, around, um, you know, uh, more broadly in engineering um, and um, additionally in uh, data management. And we'd also look to establish a working group to align jurisdictional and utility efforts to create digital twins and other asset information registers as well as standardising the required data requirements. So um, essentially that would promote the Australian and, and New Zealand standards for subsurface data. Um, so we're really seeking um, anyone in this list who might be interested in the community of practice, technical and data initiatives um, such as the National Minimum Data Set or Technical Standards Working Groups to please, please contact Ausroads. As the Chair, I'm happy to discuss the initiatives. 
um, as I'm likely to be writing much of the fun funding program bids. Um, and all of these initiatives are under consideration so that a program of work is uh, being put together for funding and resourcing. So um, uh, it's always helpful if I've got multiple perspectives if I'm uh, uh, attempting to do that. Um, in fact, Osroads is already funding a strategy and action plan for a national code of practice uh, to manage utilities and roads. Um, and basically that's about how we can deliver a national code of practice um, for utilities in transport projects, which speaks directly to process alignment under collaboration. And it would improve the consistency, compliance and um, of all parties and minimise negative impacts um, of third parties operating in roads, on road um, projects um, and on the successful delivery of infrastructure projects across Australia. So if you're interested, please get involved. Um, Austrace has been a thought leader in this space, supported by the stellar contributions of its members and contractors. So if you want to be a part of it, Maria has the details on the next slide. Thank you very much. Thank you, um, Robert, David and Nicola for presenting some highlights of our project findings and importantly outlining what we need to, need to do next. Thank you, Elena and to the Austroids team for coordinating this webinar. It has been an amazing two years of research and collaboration and while we have packaged up this presentation to give you a taste of what we've discovered, the real benefit will be realised when we implement new projects and initiatives such as what Nicola has just outlined. As you will have noted from David's presentation, some organisations have already dedicated extensive time, effort and resources to this topic and we have no doubt that some of you in the audience today will have additional knowledge and experience to contribute. So if you can add momentum towards achieving any of the initiatives outlined today or if you have further ideas once you download and read the report, please get in touch with me in the next week or two. My email address is on the screen right now. I'll create a register of individuals interested in ongoing involvement so that we can get in touch either regarding the project that Nicola just outlined or any other project um, that Austroids runs that's aligned with your knowledge or skill set. So I'm going to move on to any questions from, from the floor. Uh, thank you for those who've already posted. Um, one to kick it off it's uh, David if you could please address this one uh, you got some congratulations that your organization has made improvements and lessons learned but do you conduct quality audits on utility delivery or is it a bit more hands-off so for MRPV we've got a collaborative style arrangement with our contractors so it's a incentivized target cost model uh, where so we undertake talks they have a KPI so the upshot of that is is we are we, we share the risk with our contractors on how the projects um, progress and who's best to to manage some risks. So some risks um, are still with MRPB and some are with our contractors. So we really are joined at the hip with our contractors to make make these projects a success. So as part of that, we have project teams on site supporting our subcontractors, but we also have a surveillance team. So within uh, buried in our group, we've got about 35 surveillance officers that are working away around the projects and supporting the, the quality outcomes on how things go and the timeliness of that 
So yeah, certainly not hands off at all because we need we need our projects and our subcontractors to succeed. So so we succeed as well. I've got a second question for you, David. Um, and what do you consider to be the key benefit of having the utility coordinators nominated per project? Uh, so that I think for us, we've seen historically in the past, if you don't have your eye on the ball on utilities, you can you can lose time and money before you even realise you have. So making sure that there's someone who's um, capable and and responsible, and being aware that that you know they wake up every day thinking you know what what are the challenges with utilities on 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 my individual project. So by having that person there, there's there's just always a focus point on. On utilities, and we have a lot of support around them for the, for those people that are that coordinator. But really, making sure that someone's thinking about that, just because of the for our projects being that 25 to 30 percent of the cost and 50 percent of the program duration, it's a it's a key influence on the on the projects. Thanks, David. Nicola, I've got one for you. Um, I'm sure that many project managers would love to have a dedicated funding stream for early works that includes the utilities relocation or protection. Uh, do you think that the forward funding certainty would improve that coordination between the road asset owners and the utility service providers? I certainly do and uh, when um, research has been done uh, in the US some years ago, it's probably about 15 years ago, um, they found that for every dollar spent on these kinds of early works, um, the value was, I think it was $4.26 per dollar spent. Uh, so it just seems to have stuck in my mind for some reason. Uh, but certainly the return on investment is quite high for getting those um, happening, but it's not going to be an easy process um, to um, uh, get those uh, that funding earlier, um, but once we do, we will definitely see some benefits. Does that answer the question? I think so. Yeah, we've I certainly seen uh, from our perspective that uh, there are some challenges with doing that and and making sure that the the land issues are sorted out, uh, designed to progress enough, and uh, and there's funding for the projects because uh, some projects do and don't go ahead. So. They're, they're the things we see as need, needed to be supported to make sure that works well. Um, and resumptions, of course, always play a part because often that's where um, you need to move the um, assets to. And that all takes time, doesn't it? Definitely. Look, um, we've got some, some fairly technical questions coming through as well, and there's some specific ones I understand we'll be able to answer outside of the session if we don't cover them today. Um, does anyone want to take a question on rail projects and how we can ensure that the utility providers achieve the engineering assurance required for those which have very stringent technical requirements? I'm not an engineer, but I can take this because we're doing work in this area. Um, so um, one of the, um, I guess, issues that we have is that often we're not there when those assets are being installed. So um, there's a couple of ways that that can be um, dealt with in a practical sense. And it might be as um, simple as having someone on site um, or um, inducted into that um, particular works area um, to undertake the survey so that you're actually seeing that they're, um, you know, putting things in at the right level, um, they're using the right kind of underbore um, processes and all that kind of thing, um, as and then taking measurements at the same time. So um, really 
to be absolutely certain, um, they've got to be audited in some way. Um, and um, I know that um, there are some jurisdictions moving towards that model simply to get that um, level of assurance. There are also points raised uh, in some of the research that I did around the impact of the rail safety national law, which sits, which is additional to whatever other laws and regulations apply on non-rail projects and the challenges of not being able to divert trains in most cases and typically having to have them operating, not necessarily all of the time that, uh, that works are proceeding, but, but uh, a lot of the time operating uh, concurrently. Um, and often with contractors who might be familiar with the regulatory framework for um, working on a road site, but not familiar with the rail site. So one of the reasons we were so keen to include rail in this project was because we were made, it was very apparent that that adds a significant layer of complexity to those projects involving rail, whether that's heavy rail, um, as was the case with the Western Australian case study, uh, or light rail, as was the case with the Parramatta light rail project, where the, uh, uh, where the light rail, rail was running down the main road. Thanks for that insight, Robert. Um, I think we will probably wind up the questions there and, and take the webinar to close with Elena. Um, I, I've been told that anything that wasn't answered off the questions board, we can um, issue out afterwards. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Maria. And thanks, David, Robert, Nicola. Really great presentation and obviously some exciting opportunities coming up for future projects. So I'll just close out to today's session. Um, we've got a couple of uh, sessions up on our website that you can register for, just one left uh, for the rest of the year and then one early in the year, uh, early in, in February next year. We do have a number of sessions that we're planning at the moment. We've got pretty, um, a pretty full calendar for February and March and we'll have all of those details up on our website soon. So um, when I close out, a survey will pop up. Um, it's really great if you can help us fill that out. It gives us some insights into what we can do in the future. Um, and once again, this uh, session today has been recorded and we'll send you an uh, email as soon as that's available on the website. So thank you everybody. Um, I hope you stay safe and well and you enjoy the rest of the day. Thanks so much everybody. <laughs>